What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, hemp is by far the best thing I've ever seen for hunting doves. It's ridiculous. Will be a hell of a lot more hemp fields going coming up. online. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. I saw where a couple new properties were going to turn into hemp fields around Spencer County this year. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I wouldn't mind at all if it was a booming industry around here. I can only imagine that the dove hunt would be amazing. I know. Now they'd all be flying this way instead of wherever they're going elsewhere, <laughs> away from where I went. <laughs> but then after you. Uh, on a hemp field, suddenly you're hungry for some reason, and uh, you want to put on the Grateful Dead. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, that's funny. Yeah, you always get when you go on a hemp field. You always get people that say those typical jokes. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, they're high flyers, and oh, <laughs> they're just the typical but stuff. I believe like that. that you could smoke a pound of that. Just no, give you a headache. Yeah, it'd probably just be horrible for you. <laughs> that's all that is. But uh, let's get it started. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Got Lee McClellan. How is everybody? And John Hast. Yeah. And John, what is your, you're the coordinator of? I'm the coordinator. I got a couple different things. So yeah. uh, bears, our fur bear program, our okay. wild pig eradication program, and some various wildlife permits. See, I did not know that you had fur bear also. I knew yep. bear and pig, obviously, because you've been on the show doing mm -hmm. bear and pig things before. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's what I plan on talking about. But now knowing that you're fur bear also, that's kind of exciting because I've been trying to get Laura Palmer down here, but she doesn't, she, I don't know. She just doesn't want to talk that much. We can work on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to talk about coyote trapping and some other stuff like that at yeah. some point too. Bob, Bobcat season's in now and that's something I'm geared up for. I've never had any success at all, but, um, you know, strangely enough, the only time we really do have a lot of success bobcat hunting is when we're bear hunting in Eastern Kentucky. Okay. We'll go to those WMAs and one of my buddies that goes, he just takes his, uh, his coyote set up and he's strictly bobcat hunting when he's there so he'll tag along and uh, not even buy his bear permit just take his 22 250 and he'll stay in camp with us and while the rest of us are out there wasting our time trying to kill a bear he's out there killing bobcats yes that's a yeah. pre pretty good trade well, i see a lot of them down there and also because of the way the uh, limits are set on the bear season which we'll talk about here in a minute you never really know if you're going to get a day two to hunt bears mm -hmm. you know you got to call the number and find out if season's still open so he's got a game plan if the season does happen to close first day, he can keep on hunting. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'll probably take my stuff with me this year when we go. But anyway, bears, pigs, and fur bear. I've got a couple things listed here about bears. Like, are they, they're kind of new to the state. I mean, not new to the state. They're native species, right? Yeah, they're native species, but Daniel Boone and his folk... Worked them over real hard and <laughs> killed them all out. They must be a lot better bear hunters than I am. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize, and I have on my notes here, is, you know, how how did the range expansion of bears happen? And yeah. A lot of people, well, you'll stalk those bears. Well, no, we, we didn't. No, that's kind of what I want to know, too, because, I mean, obviously we have a huntable population of them now. We didn't in the past. Where do they come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you go back to, uh, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, early 70s uh you know the biologist term is the the bears were reduced back to these refugia so like a refuge area mm -hmm. and in the east i mean it's all stuff that people know it's the the highest part of the allegheny mountains it's the shenandoah national park area on the blue ridge so there were just a few bears in those areas yeah okay. and the people basically it was remote enough and rough enough that people couldn't kill them all yeah. Um, the Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia, and then, of course, uh, Smoky Mountains National Park mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. um, and so, essentially, all the bears that we're seeing now mm -hmm. expanded from those refugia. Okay. 
Um, the, the interesting story with Kentucky is we had, we did not stock any bears in Kentucky, but we had lots of help from the biologists in neighboring states. As in? Starting in the late 70s, there was a, there was a fellow in Virginia that if he had to catch a, a, a bear that was causing trouble mm-hmm. in Shenandoah or, you know, on the Norfolk end of Virginia, he just put it in the truck, run down 81, cut it loose. Really? But, uh, <laughs> that's how. I mean, I yeah. guess that works because uh, I guess typically if you got a bear that's causing problems getting into dumpsters or something, they know that dumpster's there. So if you take mm-hmm. them far enough away from what they know, then I guess they aren't problem bears anymore. Yeah, he was taking them clear across the state yeah. and basically middle of the night dumping them out. They didn't record sex, age, whatever was there. What years so, were those? The 70s, you said? Really starting in the 70s, 80s and 90s were big years. And of course, West Virginia was doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and and Tennessee, for the most part, they were moving some north out of the Smokies. Just kind of taking them to the Kentucky state line and kicking them out of the truck. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it was, you know, we 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 talked about, oh, this is great expansion. Well, there was lots of help. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, that makes sense. So yeah. it wasn't like uh, anything that we did, but yeah. it just kind of happened. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the habitat's better. Yeah. So, I mean, the expansion was going to happen. And I'm but. sure bears naturally are moving. I mean, is those populations in those refugees... Uh, or refugees, it's not, they're not refugees. Uh, as, as those populations expanded, I'm assuming some of those bears needed new habitat yeah. to work into. I mean, you know, yeah. food, water, shelter, there's only so much to go around. So they were probably naturally expanding anyway. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the reason why we're seeing, because I mean, you see on the news every year, and I'm sure you get a lot more of this than I even see, bears popping up in Spencer County. I know mm-hmm. of some in Lower, um, in LaRue County. There's a bear in Indiana. I mean, Shelby County had bears. I mean, they're kind of all over the state. Is that expansion or is that just random bears? Yeah, that's expansion. So, you know, we see what we see with bear expansion is the female Mm -hmm. component moves very slowly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, female bear set up on Pine Mountain. Her daughter's going to inherit part of her home range and maybe move just a little bit. It's a slow Mm -hmm. thing. On the flip side of it, Male bears are, I mean, those bears you're seeing in Shelby County or what we've got in West Kentucky, 99% of them are going to be males. I've heard that they're usually young males. Young males, yeah. And is kind of what they do is they, uh, in the spring, they maybe move out and move, you know, maybe hundreds of miles across the state. And then when breeding season comes back in, are they kind of making their way back down? Well, so they're actually getting kicked out, you know, that first or second year of life, they're getting kicked out. Mm -hmm. And it it is an advantage for them to get out of there because the other males are trying to kill them during breeding season. That's scary. That sounds pretty scary. So they they (laughs) typically leave, look for new territory. Mm -hmm. And then most of the time we see them wander back, Mm -hmm. you know, middle fall, late fall, get back in there. And on their third year, they probably stay. They can probably hack it out a little bit, yeah. find a girlfriend, maybe. So that sounds almost opposite of most animals to me, because it seems like during breeding season, typically all the males will be going to the females. But you're saying that, I guess, bears are, there's probably such a difference in size and dominance between a big, mature male bear and a, and a young bear. Because how long do bears stay with the with the sow? Really until, like, they're, they're uh, you know, so they're born in the den mm-hmm. as cubs. They'll den again with their mom mm-hmm. when they're one in that spring. So okay. that April, May, they're getting so, kicked out so of the nest. So a one-and-a-half-year-old bear versus a five- or six-year-old bear, there's a huge difference. So the young bears are actually getting the heck out of Dodge for breeding season for their own safety. And yes. those, those are the ones we're seeing across the state. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I feel like that bear that I saw, because my buddy had it on trail camera in uh, LaRue County this year. You probably heard of that bear. Mm-hmm. I think he was seen several times. Somebody told me they think he's actually the same bear that worked all the way up into Indiana. I was wondering about that because that just happened a couple of weeks ago. 
Mm-hmm. The Indiana bear. Yeah, well, there was an Indiana bear last year that, too. Is there a connection to Bernheim and Knob State Forest? Are there bears in there yet? Well, there's Bernie the bear in Bernheim. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah. And he's uh, apparently come. He, whether he overwintered or not, I still speculate yeah. on. You know, uh, we had so many that pushed to the west this year that was really hard to track on mm-hmm. a on a typical summer. Just getting a report or two a week, you can kind of say, okay, we got two bears. One's going here. One's going there. Yeah. They're sort of a natural conduit. They sort of end up around E-Town, Bardstown, Elizabethtown. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they can either go north and end up south of Louisville. Yeah. Or they kind of hit west and end up like Breckenridge County. We've got one right now that's done the Breckenridge, Grayson, Ohio County loop. Huh. Uh, you know, and that's all great habitat. When you say south of Louisville, there's great habitat there too. Thinking yeah. Jefferson Memorial, mm-hmm. um, around the Otter Creek area, you got Fort Knox, you got LG and E up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like if you really look at it on a map, south of Louisville has some of the biggest chunks of woodland mm-hmm. in the state. I yeah. mean, it's ridiculous yeah. up there. And people don't think about that. And that that is what we see. I mean, when we plot the 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 bear sightings of these bears that are kicking out west Mm -hmm. you can just look like just a google earth image of kentucky and Mm -hmm. look for those dark green patches Mm -hmm. and that's where they're rolling okay and there's a couple of you know conduits for them to move through that are are coming out of uh you know if you start in casey county you've got kind of three options to Mm -hmm. get to different parts of the state i've always kind of wondered well i've heard that bears have the best sense of smell in the world or at least like polar bears so I'm assuming that, you know, being related, black bears probably have a pretty dang good sense of smell mm-hmm. also. They say polar bears can, like, smell a mate from 100 miles away across the ice or something like that mm-hmm. with the wind yeah. being correct. But our bears can smell peanut butter a mile away. Is that correct? Diary, yeah, absolutely. I'm Without not, a doubt. Yeah. I'd like to know the stats on how good their noses are. <laughs> we can work on that. <laughs> have we used peanut butter before to get hair samples? Yeah. Yeah, anything. Uh, typically. I a bag of Doritos work real well. Right, so how does that work? How do you get hair samples using peanut butter? So what we've done, to, what, what our our bear population estimate is based on is we set up these things called hair snares, which we just find four good trees somewhere and mm-hmm. wrap barbed wire around them. Okay. Um, two strands of it, you know, if they crawl under it, it gets their back. If they go between it, they go over yep. it. But uh, for the big study that we did with the University of Kentucky, the, the bait's got to be consistent. So you need something that's like nice to handle. Mm-hmm. We ran honey buns. Okay. So we actually went to Walmart and bought six pallets of the great value honey buns <laughs> so they had, they had some questions for me but uh you know it's a good it's it's not going to rot in your truck it's mm-hmm. got it you know it uh honey buns comes wrapped so you know and that worked great it so. turns out that uh bears and myself have very similar pallets right? yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's funny i love a honey bun too you know but does it deteriorate in the in the environment so what, what we were doing was basically we would just put a nail if we had a tree in the middle or we'd run a string across and just leave we called it the raincoat so you open one end of the wrapper and hang it upside down oh kinda, that makes perfect you know, sense it's kind of <laughs> so so we were you know we were rebating every seven days so you really wanted it to stay nice it was summer so you had some icing dripping out of there but that's genius yeah, the, the raincoat. It just got, <laughs> exactly. It's like they package them for this. That's funny. So how did we decide when we had a, a – well, first, how many bears do you think we have? Oh, that's a good question. So we've got uh, basically two core populations, mm-hmm. one centered around Big South Fork and McCreary County that's really become now, say, McCreary, Wayne, up to Pulaski, maybe mm-hmm. north to Rock Castle County. And then our other population is just right there on the Virginia border. So okay. from Pike County down to Bell County. Okay. 
And we know in those core areas, through running those hair snares, we've got 400 in those areas. Why hair snares instead of a trail camera? Uh, just the fact, so bears are are very hard to distinguish one bear from okay, another. Okay, that makes perfect. But you if know. you get a hair sample, you can tell them apart. Exactly. So we're running genetics on those hair samples. Okay, okay. Yep. Well, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's just, so Kingdom uh, Come State Park is the other uh, yeah, that, area. That, that would that, be that area. That'd be ground cent, uh, ground zero. That'd be ground zero but right there. That's yeah. an area also, if I remember right, that we don't allow hunting in. So we're trying to allow there to still be a refuge area in, mm-hmm. in the state with Kingdom Come, right? Yeah, we've got a couple, and that's that's really a southern bear management mm-hmm. tradition mm-hmm. is to have these refugee areas. You know, yeah. have a have a refuge. Um, you know, places like the Smokies, but then Tennessee has other big WMAs, big public properties that they have as as yeah. as those uh, sanctuaries more or less we've got cumberland gap is one yeah. of them big south fork i know i think in the past when we've gone with you i never have been able to go on this shoot i hope to sometime soon because i'd like to handle a bear cub myself but when we've gone on those shoots with you to check the bear dens and get the bear cubs out before i think those were kingdom come or maybe yeah. maybe one on pine mountain also yeah, so one of our one of our big research areas is running Little Shepherd Trail okay. along the top of Pine there. Okay, so, I was at an event where they put a trap out at Scudder Hole Gap. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And the the old road going on to the other side of the uh, going down to Virginia is still there. It's the mm-hmm. old wagon road. That would have been you ever seen that? Oh yeah, yeah. That would have been a harrowing trip back in the day. Absolutely. Could you imagine? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, we walked a lot of that. It's actually a handy road when we're doing dens in that area because you can walk on a logging road you know i feel like we drove that road in the kentucky field truck when we were doing a bat survey down there a couple weeks ago my understanding is that's a very old trail that was been used since yeah pioneer days Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool and then i mean that because literally if if we're talking about the same area we were at the base of rose hill i guess and i think the virginia state line was the top of the hill Mm -hmm. so and there's that old road that goes back through there is that is that what you're talking about you're probably on you were probably on black mountain yeah Um, you were right there up against virginia I thought for sure he maybe said not. Rose Hill. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have no idea. Don't hold yeah. me to any of that. Scuttle Hole, that's, that's Pine Mountain. That's on Pine. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one up on top of Pine Mountain. Mm-hmm. I've walked that one many times. I got some good pictures from that fire tower up there. Yep. There's like, a natural mountain bog habitat up there, too. That's mm-hmm. close by. Yeah, that's a really cool area. Mm-hmm. Pine Mountain is where I developed my hatred for Rhododendron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can't Do some air dams with us, and you'll, you'll oh, hate it even more. <laughs> when I'm like, I'm packing a rifle and a day pack and everything I need, you know, and I get in a mess of rhododendron. It is some of the toughest stuff to work through and get out of, and you got no chance of killing anything in there because you can't see five feet. Right. So it just really, when I go hunting there, I just look for open areas. I can see some ground. Yeah. And, uh, Occasionally, I'll find a deer stand, you know, an old deer stand or something like that, and just climb up and get comfortable for a little bit. But it's a cool area. I find bear sign every time I go, mm-hmm. but uh, I have never actually laid eyes on a bear. Of course, you know, that's a in five years of hunting, that's probably a combined eight to nine or ten days in the woods, which yep. isn't a whole lot of time. And I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's just kind of like a family trip that we go on, family and friends. We all get together, get a cabin, and just hang out and shoot the crap for a couple of days, you know? But, um, so what I was curious about was when we decided to start hunting them, what was that based on? Yeah. So we did a project back, I'm trying to think that was probably 2007, 2008. We did a big hair snare project. Um, but the snares themselves were at a much lower density. Okay. So we actually had an abundance number back then. Uh And the interesting thing just in my, you know, in my career with bears, I started in 2006, we were still coddling you know, this small breeding population on top of Pine Mountain. 
and now it's just you know the roof's blown off of it. yeah um so we actually had good abundance numbers it it has been interesting how the methodology both on how to arrange the hair snares but also the statistics mm-hmm. uh behind it i mean in 10 years 12 years that we are now what we used on that first abundance thing is been discarded and we're on you know yeah. With the, with the rise of all these different stats programs on the computer, it's insane the power that we've got. Well, not now. just that. You use a lot more uh, a lot more tools to study the bears than just hair snares. Mm-hmm. I know I don't know if you remember the first time that, I, that me and you ever met. It was well before I worked for the department. And uh, it was when Chad was actually with the foundation. Mm-hmm. And he knew I was going bear hunting. And I came up to your office one day and, sure. and talked to you about perhaps where to go. I think this was before my first bear hunting trip. This had to be six, seven years ago or something like yeah. that. Okay. And you showed me uh, some radio collar data, just kind of showing me how bears move and things like that. And I was, cause I was thinking, do I go ridge tops? Do I go, what do I look for? Mm-hmm. And that data you showed me kind of told me to focus on the ridge tops cause you were showing me how they were moving through there. So you have radio collar bears out there. I'm sure there's other things you do as well. Yeah, we're getting that just from, you know, how bears use the landscape. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. But then also uh, for our population model, so we can keep mm-hmm. that model running year to year, survival and what we call cause-specific mortality. So okay. how long bears live and how do they die? Okay. Uh, all those pieces, sort of think about it like, you know, your hair snare work is the foundation. Mm-hmm. You get like a number, mm-hmm. 400. And then all those other blocks go on top. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, keeps a graph going year to year, mm-hmm. what kind of bears we've got. And so you, now do you only have females color or do you have males also? We're focusing on females right now yeah. because our, one of our weaknesses in that model is our, our repro data. So mm-hmm. our, you know, our cub production data. Well, they're probably easier to catch as well. If I had to guess. Uh, it, can... it, it depends. Like when you really want them, they're hard to catch. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they're not, um, it's just like we were talking about the breeding season. Like when we're in a core area, mm-hmm. come May and June, the mature males from everywhere uh-huh. are in there. Okay. And they're running and they're looking. I mean, it's like a rutting buck, okay. rutting elk. They're running around. Well, when they smell a honey bun, yeah. they're right there. Yeah. So a lot of times, if we know we've got a female on bait, we can't catch her for catching the other males that are just making mm-hmm. the making the loop that makes sense you know yeah so. and well i guess my guess was kind of um based on the stuff i've seen you do with bear dens mm-hmm. and so when you go into those bear dens because not everybody's probably seen those pieces or knows what goes on you go to a den where you have a collared female mm-hmm. usually because you know exactly where she's at you can see her on gps she's right here she's in her den and so after she's had cubs you'll go in there and you'll collect the cubs out usually you try to dart the female yeah so get her put to sleep. You'll take some measurements and things on her. I'll get you to tell me what that is. And then you work up the cubs and get that on them also. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell me about that. Yeah. What we're doing in the den is, is real simple. So we want to know, uh, the sex of the cub and how many cubs there are. Yeah. So looking at cub sex ratio can tell us, uh, a lot about the stability of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it is a good stable population where it's, you know, it's saturated the habitat, mm-hmm it behooves that bear population to like send males out. Okay. So your sex ratio will be skewed, skewed towards males. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're doing dens in different areas, we can kind of see what area of that expansion front that we're on. Okay. If we're in a core, we're going to see more males. Mm-hmm. If we're outside, we're going to see more females. So they kind of vary their, uh, their production based on the ratio of males yeah. females in the area. That's what yeah. a lot of species mm-hmm. do is what I'm kind of, figuring out here. it is yeah yeah let's see 
Now, our season days, we talked about bag limits a minute ago, but basically there's a quota, and I might be wrong because I'm, I'm only going on last year's numbers. But I think that all the seasons were set because there's like four different bear seasons. Mm-hmm. There's a chase season, a bow season, a r- rifle season, and maybe a two chase seasons. Is that right? Uh, we've got we've got early chase with no take, uh-huh. and then we've got the dog. Okay. No okay. dog take. So season. the first one there is no take. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. really there's three seasons with take. And if I remember right, the limit was 10 bears or five females. Is that for each of those? In a lot. So it's broken down by zone. Okay, okay. A okay. um, little bit. We, we do that just because we want to manage. We're managing those populations, our cores, mm-hmm. for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, the McCreary County Big South Fork Core, we're managing for some slight growth. Okay. Uh, Harlan, Letcher, and Bell County, we've got basically at 0% so growth. So that's what I was curious, is if those limits were set, and I mean, they're pretty conservative limits, five, yeah. five mm-hmm. female bears in those areas. Uh, I was wondering if we were you know, trying to still build the population up as we were hunting them, but you just said some of them are being managed for growth, some of them being managed uh, as to sustain. And, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, and where we're at, I mean, when you look at that zone two area, which is kind of the intermediate, that's where we're really going to see growth going into the future. Mm-hmm. We know we've got females cranking out cubs in that area. Um, so just from a social acceptance side, we've yeah. got a lot of bears in, in Harlan, Letcher, and Bell. So okay. we don't we don't want any more there. Okay. We want to grow them in zone two for, for hunting. And hmm. um, we've got lots of areas of of very low bear density in that zone two area that I think will fill in. Oh, good. What, what do you got there in front of you? I see you got a graph. Yeah, I was just brought some uh, some of the stats from last year's modern gun season. What, what, where are uh, the hot spots, if you had to say? Yeah, the hot spot last year, and it's it's interesting that these kind of shift around. I mean, Harlan County was a big hot spot last year uh-huh. uh, for our zone one counties, and it it always is. Interestingly enough, in our early archery season this year, Bell County was the hot spot. Hmm. So, Bell, Harlan, or Letcher, mm-hmm. you're looking at the highest densities we've got in the state. Um, but again, you're in that zone one area, likely going to have a one-day season. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good bet. So, so the season's close per zone now? Per I zone. I don't think it was always like that. It wasn't. We had we had up until 2017, we just had one zone. Okay. That's where I'm, that's what um, I was thinking of then. And so, my, my goal with, with this new zone arrangement we've got is to kind of pull out those zone one counties and let people have that time. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we can take bears from zone two. Okay. Not have not have Harlan County shut down the entire state. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that makes sense because mm-hmm. Harlan County kills. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, last year on our modern gun season, zone one closed down day one, but zone two got four days of hunting. Yeah. Um, we had some we had some bitter cold weather that opening day, but then it improved. Yeah. Um, so a four day, you know, you could bear hunt for four days. Yeah. Last year. So the season's kind of right in that transition zone where <clears throat> bears aren't moving as much. Is that correct? And that's explain to people the, the thought process behind when we have the season. Yeah. So we've got that set, and this is another sort of, of tradition of Southern Southeastern bear management is that you have your big gun seasons uh, after the average date that your natal females go in the den. Yeah. So those are females expecting cubs. Um, now, we've got enough data to look at over the last couple of years that we don't see much of a difference in our harvest sex ratio from our early bow season to our late December gun season. Hmm. Lots of females are still available in Kentucky. 
uh, and they get harvested. Well, it's so hard to tell what the weather's actually going to do. Yeah, absolutely. At that time of year, I mean, you could have a 45, 50-degree day, or you could have a 12-degree day. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's really, really hard to know what the weather's actually going to be doing in, what is that, December 15th this It'll be year? be the 15th for the gun yeah. season. I yeah. feel like that's a little earlier than usual, but I guess it's just how the calendar's falling this year. It mm-hmm. is. Uh, you know, and I'm. it's kind of one of those things that what I was thinking on the other day is moving that to a different uh, – that. The advantage of having it in December, we're not seeing what we want to see. Yeah. So we could really have it any time in the fall. Well, one thing I do like about mm-hmm. that, uh, being the, the weekend that it is, is that it aligns with muzzleloader for deer. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in the past, I've had a buddy who's, if he has a deer tag available, he bear hunts with a muzzleloader. Sure. You know what I mean? And that way, if he sees a, a nice buck or something, he can take it. Or if he sees a, a bear, he can mm-hmm. take it. So I like I like that option, but... Yeah, I agree, and that's why we that's why we lined it up when we did our yeah. zone three muzzleloader hunt. Actually, covers the entirety of that muzzleloader season. Yeah, thinking that nobody really is going to go on their own after a bear in zone three. Mm-hmm. It's better, you know, if you've got one on trail cam, you're going into muzzleloader deer season. Buy that thirty dollar permit, you might get lucky. Do you have any fear of people, you know, who are deer hunting over corn or bait? That that's an issue that we've that we've grappled with, and there's really no good way to mm-hmm. address that. Obviously, without taking away a baiting for deer, baiting for deer, we know it happens. We know they're influenced by, you know, a corn feeder at mm-hmm. times. But I think folks do yeah do the right thing. You just gotta yeah. gotta hope people do do the right thing. Of course, I mean. If there if there aren't that many bears killed, so I mean it wouldn't be that hard to send an officer out there and check into something if you felt like you needed to. Exactly, and we do for sure. We have we make a case or two every season. Good deal. Yeah, because I, I, I would suspect that'd probably be the main issue. When I think about lining up gun seasons and things for deer and bear, it seems like you know a lot of people are deer hunting over, over bait. So, and that's one thing that we definitely don't want to do for bear here. So you we do catch people hunting bear over bait occasionally. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. What if you're hunting a over a trash can in your front yard. Yeah, it's bait too. Right, so anything that's yeah. going to influence the pattern or movement of that bear is basically considered mm-hmm. bait, right? Same thing for turkey. Exactly. Anything that's going to influence the movement of that animal. Something I've always been <clears throat> interested in, after you go and you, and you do your, your den work and, and you dart the mother, has there ever been instances where human sense transferred to the cubs and the mother like may have issue with it, or does it does that just go on and... You know, it's one of those things, and I get I, I kind of I get that question a lot, and I liken it to the 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 whole idea of like taking a baby bird out of the nest. That's uh-huh. just an old, old wives' tale of of that. So the desire to see that offspring succeed overrides any it's, scent. Yeah, yeah. My, my yeah. daughter smells funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, we try. You know, when we take when we take groups on it, somebody at, when we're working with the mama bear, the cubs have to come out of the den because she's now immobilized. But you know, they still move around a little bit, so we don't want to see them roll over. You know, where the cubs are placed, nursing one roll, and you got a three hundred pound bear laying on top of them. Mm-hmm. So. We take them out, stick them inside somebody's jacket. They're getting covered in human scent. Yeah. yeah. And we really don't see, you know, we go back in uh, typically two, three weeks after we go in when they're still in the den. You can go in there and listen for nursing. And the cubs are big at that time. They're in there growling at each other and playing mm-hmm. just to verify, yeah, this female hasn't moved. Mm-hmm. She's still got the cubs and we've yet to see. Is she in torpor? They're, they're in torpor at that time or? It's, What's it's torpor? A, Tell me about that. Hibernation, you know, okay. like like smallmouths right now in the stream are in torpor. 
Yeah, which I mean, just means they're saving. Their- you could put a worm right in front of them. They're like, uh, you know, because they're, they're <laughs> yeah. just kind of semi-dormant. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the whole the whole definition of hibernation is like this broad spectrum from like, you know, we say bears hibernate, but they don't really. They go and lay up somewhere. Uh, you know, they're not reducing. True hibernation is like this reduction of your body temp, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very severe, like uh, slowing down of all your vital processes. And we just don't see that with bears. I mean, it on a, we'll actually try to do dens on a cold morning just because they're a little bit further down than they normally are. But, you know, in two minutes, they're up, they can be up and out of there running hmm. at full capacity. I think that's a so, misnomer. A lot of people think is they're like, you know, completely incapacitated well, during the winter months. Yeah. You know, people might just have a confusion about what hibernation is. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they are dinned up. They're kind of laying in there and not really being mobile. So, in a way, people think that's hibernation. But like you said, it's really those just slowing down the heart rate, all the metabolic processes, saving mm-hmm. all the calories and lowering the body temperature, everything like that. So, uh, what animals do hibernate? Because I'm thinking we do have several in the state that do. Yeah, so, so bats do for sure, and we get lots of, you know, the, the true, like, quintessential, like, torpor hibernator is, like, the lemur. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going down to almost, you know, as a warm-blooded animal, they're almost going down to, like, the environmental temp mm-hmm. uh, and just shutting everything down. And by doing that, it takes them a long time to get the engine started again. Mm-hmm. Whereas with bears, they're just more or less like us waking up out of bed. About the time it takes me to jump out of bed, they can do the same thing. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. What about um, problem bears? Yeah. We have a three strikes you're out rule here in Kentucky, don't we? Uh, we, we more or less. Uh, more or less. I, I say more or less. No, we basically got a one strike rule. Okay. Depending on what you're doing. Okay. Uh, we have a very difficult, just given the, the, the layout of Kentucky, mm-hmm. we don't have a huge uninhabited area where we can dump bad bears mm-hmm. uh when we move a bear that's causing problems we're just moving the problem mm-hmm. uh so we really you know a bear getting in garbage obviously we're going to try to haze that but the most important thing is that that garbage source that food source gets put up yeah you need people to be responsible yeah. so it, it definitely goes both ways and this is an issue i mean they have this issue everywhere mm-hmm. um we don't make a habit of trapping and moving bears. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, we'll set a trap for a bear that we want to catch, catch the wrong one yeah. because there's lots of bears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll move him just to, you know, mm-hmm. be nice to him. But uh, what we do, you know, if they've crossed a line, if they have gone into a dwelling, if they have done any property damage, they're going to be caught and euthanized. Okay. So, Are there, uh, Does that happen often? Or? Uh, we average about 10 bears a year. That's not that's not. Yeah, that's it's, often, it's really not, and those are the extreme cases. And those, that's mainly yeah. for safety, I'm sure, and for the bear. Yes. I mean, you don't want the bear to be denaturalized, right. you know, or dependent on well, people. one about Donner Pass came into the police station here that's last right. week, in California. <laughs> he opened that's the door right. and came in. Yeah. I saw a huge bear <clears throat> that was roadkill yesterday. Uh, did you get any word of that? Um, it has happened so much this fall that yeah. I don't even. I was wondering a common thing. I was wondering if we would uh, do anything with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get it. We we pick it up. So our important thing as we go forward with bear management is to have basically aged harvest data. Mm-hmm. So pull a tooth from every bear that dies. Okay. So any roadkill. That's why during the hunt you're coming and we're physically checking the bear. We're going to yeah. pop a tooth out. Yeah. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I believe the one in Indiana was, uh, they thought it hit by a car. Yeah, that was the, uh, yeah, that was an interesting thing. And they, apparently no damage to the car. So my guess is no, 
very minimal damage to the bear, mm-hmm. even though they found some blood. I uh, There was one on 71 near Trimble County a few years ago, if I remember right. Somebody had sent me a picture of it. And, you know, I don't know if I ran this by you, but I meant to. Somebody sent me a picture, you know, in Shelby County. Are you familiar with Shelby County at all? A little bit. Woodlawn Road, kind of going out towards Cropper. Somebody sent me a picture of a bear cape and skull. Like a like almost like what you'd use for a rug mount in the ditch, like in a garbage bag. Huh. Did I pass that on to you? Is it a resin? Uh-uh. Uh, I must not have. I'll go through my phone after this and see if I can find that info. Somebody sent it to me. Yeah. And I was like, it was like a Sunday or something like that. And I said, I'm gonna have to run that by has to work, but I guess that slipped yeah. my mind. Um, let's see. You also do pigs. I wanted to talk about pigs a mm-hmm. little bit because like bears and pigs are both relatively new to Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. We have completely different management plans and a completely different philosophy when it comes to both of them, right? Mm -hmm. Bears, like you said, we're trying to sustain, trying to grow a population. What's the deal with pigs? Because that's not the case. Yeah, so pigs, uh, we just want absolute uh, wholesale slaughter. Like, (laughs) like we want not a pig. I'll tell you what, Um, everything I hear about pigs is bad. It really is. There is nothing good that you can say about having pigs. Yeah. Um, And sort of what I... You know, it's it's the thing. Like we are, you. I don't think you can find a better spot than Kentucky. For I'm a little, you know, I'm a little biased. Yeah. For incredible deer hunting. Yeah. You dude. know, you can take a Booner buck in any county we got, mm-hmm. and then phenomenal turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. We're killing as many turkeys as anybody else. Yep. In the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so pigs don't help either one of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they they do some damage. Yeah. You look at where pigs are. Those states aren't known for great deer hunting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so we are really on that. We are right on that border. Uh-huh. I mean, there, without a doubt in my mind, there is some environmental limitations as pigs move north. Uh-huh. Whether they're just having fewer litters, whether they're losing a litter in the winter yeah. to big snow, super cold, you know, they they do great. Uh-huh. But we're not seeing the experience explosive growth that georgia alabama mississippi Good. you know That's it's great. great yeah so we got that on our side plus we've got very well identified outlined isolated populations. Now, that's kind of the question, because you just said as pigs move north, but I don't think the pigs we have here came from the south. No. Because if you no. look at where the populations are, they are somewhat in northern Kentucky. We're yep. talking about along the Kentucky River in Henry County and Owen County, right? Trimble County? Yep. So every population we've got is the product of an illegal release. Yeah. Okay. And you say illegal release, could it be accidental release also? It could be accidental. Uh-huh. Um it just depends. Most of these are a combination of both. Because the way I understand it, pigs go feral very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you just have pigs and a couple, <clears throat> like, you know, if a tree knocks a fence down and a couple of them get loose under the landscape, they can become feral hawks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When I first started with the department in 2000, the only place we had pigs was Big South Fork region mm-hmm. and around Dell Hollow. Yep. And I think the Big South ones was from a, an outfitter who released them and then the outfitter went defunct. Mm-hmm. And it's just been amazing. And in, in ten years, they just all of a sudden they were in Henry County, and then you started hearing about them in, 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 along the Kentucky Road. You're talking about. Them. I think they're and in Kaboom, a, Burnham, know? also, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, so we've got them cleaned up in so Burnham. So, yeah. so where are they now? So we've basically got five big breeding populations, and it's it's one of our, our kind of our policy to keep that on the down low. So you know, don't we tell talk me. about the, <laughs> yeah. we can talk about the 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 pig hunting culture. What we fight is is the well-meaning hunter yeah. that thinks they can eradicate pigs. Yeah. And it don't matter how good you are. If you're sitting in the deer stand with an AR or a nice lever action mm-hmm. or something, 
you're not getting all 20 to walk by. Oh, no. You look you know? at how they do it down south. I mean, you can find videos with these guys go out there at night with 10 people lined up, and they got thermals, and they just wait till the field's full of them, and they shoot as many as they can. Mm-hmm. And the next day, they got 50 in the field again. You know right. what I mean? So, I don't – to your point, we don't want – hunting necessarily to happen because that's not the most effective way to get rid of correct it. yeah correct and I've, I've watched of course the piece you did uh um with chad in henry county i yep. think it was where you went out yep. there and trapped a sounder and the most effective way is just to get the whole group out of there at once right mm-hmm. why don't you talk about that? it is absolutely i mean catching that whole group we we basically we offer free trapping service yeah we coordinate with U- u.s department of agriculture wildlife services mm-hmm. We've got traps. They've got traps. We're we're in it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've got pigs, holler at us. We'll catch them for you. But yeah. what we ask is that, and we're not going to make anybody stop deer hunting in the fall. We yeah. kind of throttle back our trapping this time of year because yeah. folks are in the woods. Yeah. But you know, if we're trapping January, February, and March are great months for us to catch pigs. You know, we just ask that when we get those pigs on bait, they're going to hit that bait one time a day and then run around the farm uh-huh. and you know let us get them caught. You know, if you're shooting at them on one corner of the farm, but they're coming to our trap, that's not going to help us. Yeah. Uh, so we run everything. We've got cell phone cameras, mm-hmm. and we've got basically cell phone activated doors. So I have caught pigs uh, in the movies. Yeah. The biologist works for me has, <laughs> has caught pigs on on date night. That's awesome. Uh, I've caught pigs going down the the you know had to pull off on my commute home. Yeah. This time of year because it's dark thirty while you're driving home. Yep. Pull off on 64, stop, catch pigs, then go to the house. So say you do that. Say you're driving down 64, heading home. You get the trail cam picture sent to your phone. You see, okay, I got eight pigs in there. That's Mm -hmm. that's good enough. And you drop those doors. Is there a timetable on you getting out there? Yeah, we'll typically go out there the next morning. Hit them at first light. They're, you know, after about the first five minutes, they're real calm. They're in there with 100 pounds of corn. So they're happy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So the reason that hunting hurts is because pigs are extremely smart. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, I mean, they're learning animals just a lot, a lot of the same way with coyotes. You know, if you go out there and you hunt a coyote, chances are you aren't going to get that coyote anytime right. soon if you didn't get them that first time. So if you're, if you think you're going to do some damage to a pig population by hunting them and, you know, like you said, 20 of them are close by and you shoot one, well, there's 19 now that you aren't going to have any luck hunting mm-hmm. at all. And they go nocturnal. They, I guess they might move areas. So yep. really you're spreading the problem around and making the problem tougher to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I know I said a minute ago, Henry County, I don't think there's any secret. Oh no, it's no secret. That, that Henry County yeah. has pigs. All you got to do is go to the Lockport country store and they, I mean, have you ever, <laughs> right. you ever go down there? Exactly. And That's they got the- flyers up for people to, you know, I'll come catch your pigs and all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you probably have to deal with those people. Yeah, we've really slowed uh, we really slowed that market down. Good. It's been about four or, five, four or five years since the last time I was in the Lockport Country Store, yeah. which is mm-hmm. a, a gem. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I fished down below the Lock of Dam there, you know, and I'll stop in there. It's yeah. like you step back in time. Yeah. Lockport is. It's like you go back to 1890. Oh, it's, a, it's a nice place up there, and those people <clears> have been great. Yeah. You know. Once they figured out what we were up to, and that if you really didn't want pigs, we could yeah. we could help you out. They were they kind of opened up to us. Well, pigs are kind of like the Asian carp of the landscape, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we don't we don't want that problem spreading absolutely. any worse than it already has. Let's see what else uh, what else you got, Lee. I want to hear what you have because I, I got to well, look through my notes here. One thing that John and I've talked about a lot is uh, he's an excellent uh, trout angler on the Cumberland Tell one. He laughs. I mean, well, you know, and and I'm getting more into it and stuff, and uh, just. A lot of people, when they go to the tailwater, you know, throw power bait, they throw worms, and or they use spinning gear, which I've done a bunch of times. I've used spinning gear a lot. 
But if you're starting to approach it from a fly perspective, um, nymphing is probably your favorite thing to do, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most, uh, you can you can put people on fish. I mean, my last trip down there was with one of our elk biologists, Joe McDermott, never caught a trout on a fly. And I was like, well, you know, we can make that happen. Like, So yeah, explain, because I've, I've been down there twice and had luck uh, nymphing both times. Yep. But not everybody knows what that is. Most people are thinking woolly buggers or, mm-hmm. you know, actual flies or something. So mm-hmm. explain what the nymph setup is. Just basically running. I mean, some of the common ones, like I, I like a zebra midge down there. They're tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, or, really uh, tiny. Yeah. <laughs> Hard for old people's eyes to, to see the whole exactly. the diamond thing on you know, some of that, like a copper john, uh, a hare's ear, trying to think of some of the other ones. Like, a, basically, I mean, you're a, a tiny, tiny fly with uh-huh. a bead just behind the eye. Uh-huh. You know, what that lets it do, that's 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 imitating an emerging aquatic insect. Like a larva. Yeah. And so, if you, I mean, from a non-fly perspective, you're like fishing with baiting a bobber yeah more yeah. or less use a small um, tiny bobber and suspend it underneath yeah, it. yeah now how do you determine the depth from bobber to um nymph that's one of those things that can that can drive you crazy down there if you're boat drifting is you want that thing just tickling the bottom mm-hmm. you know uh with the I, I say 10 years ago before we got the uh you're going to remind me what we've got down there at the uh hatchery the snot the rock snot. Okay. oh the didymo yeah the yeah the didymo i have no idea what that is didymo is an invasive um oh. plant that actually i think is from like new zealand mm-hmm. and i think didn't people traveling over there accidentally reintroduce it to trout waters and mm-hmm. it's First showed up, I think, on the White River in Arkansas, didn't it? Wasn't that the yeah? It's been entry, I mean, it's, and then it's exploded from there. Yeah. A lot of people call it rock snot. Yeah, is, it's been fly fishermen moving it. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, yeah, least, you've got to really. So if you do wade down there, especially if you have felt bottom, because yeah. I think the felt bottom was the key. The fibers mm-hmm. of the plant attached to felt bottom, they go to another place, and they released them. You know, accidentally, it wasn't done maliciously, yeah. but so you just soak your felt bottoms in bleach or something. Or let them dry completely. Yeah, is, okay. is one of the things that, and oh. and you can use a five percent bleach solution too to spray them down. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you just let them dry completely, it'll take care of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it, you know, and so it's one of those things that that back in the day when I first started fishing down there, you know, you would actually have that thing bounce in the bottom. You know, those nymphs kind of flip around where they're basically on their back. The hook thing, you know, the hook bend is up, and they can just go right through the, you know, just kind of tickling down through the bottom. Nowadays, I cut it a little bit shorter just to not get that little bit of didymo on there. Um, and that's something, you know, so one of my successful, most successful ways of doing it. And my dad and I, he's got a big open john boat and you can fish, th- you know, three people fly fishing, but you're boat drifting, mm-hmm. you know, perpendicular to the current. You kind of got to coordinate a little bit, but basically everybody is casting straight. Mm-hmm. just to you know you might get some bends in your line you want to sort it out a little bit but you're getting these perfect drifts from the boat you know where you're not having to bend your line every, you know you're not working current so your presentation is there and you can do that out of a kayak a canoe mm-hmm. whatever you want to do um in a lot of different water levels mm-hmm. um but, you know boat drifting for me nymphing the perfect day is like one generator mm-hmm. they've just cut it off or it's just coming on where you've got enough where you can just, you know, plow right down the middle of the river, fishing everything, yeah, uh, and keep that good drift. 
Yeah, I think when I've been down there, one generator has been the key. Mm-hmm. I think anything more than that in a kayak is it's a little too much. Yeah. Absolutely. You can probably handle it in a John boat a little better. but mm-hmm. I was down there with Jim Axon years ago and Brett Billings, who used to be on the TV. Yeah, group. Brett sent me a Facebook message yesterday. Yeah. Um, and we started out, but ended at Helm's Landing and went up to an area that people call the Sluice. Do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And destroyed, I was throwing a Rebel Wee Crawl and destroyed trout. Hmm. Later, we drifted down. We saw. I saw one guy who had shorts on. Or, and I was like, dude, are you cold? He said, well, after 10 minutes, I go numb. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're going to have hypothermia, too. Yeah. So we get down river, and they kick it on. And all of a sudden, we have bank to bank, up in the trees, full generation. And it was. So if you're on that river, be mindful, because it was scary that's TBA. jim's really really uh uh experienced at the river he was he's done a lot of research on it so he knew what to do but we had a horrible time getting the boat back on the trailer we had to stand out in the river and just hold the boat and yeah. kind of floor it and run yeah because it was pushing the current was so strong it's pushing it back into the boat out in the river mm-hmm. we, we had a horrible time you actually saw people uh this <clears> september <throat> that you know low water early they were parking their trucks and going fishing and leaving the trucks on the gravel at helms <laughs> That's Which, a good way to get your truck right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter. You can't hear the high, the, the horn from the dam at Elm's no. <laughs> And one one little thing, boat doesn't start, something that wouldn't be a bad emergency when your truck's washing down the river, it is. It so is a bad park emergency. Back, yeah. Park back park, up on top. Park up there and walk. <laughs> so, um, what size of, of, of your nymphs? You know, you can get Copper John's, Prince nymphs at Cabela's. I've, I've seen them at Sportsman's Warehouse. You can order them online at Orvis or any places. Yeah. But what size do you like? A lot of people don't realize, too, the bigger the number, the smaller the fly. Yeah. I was doing like 12 to 16s on the on the Copper John's, uh, Hare's Ears. I'm thinking there's another one. The WD-40 is another is, kind is of that, is that a, Do you like that one? It's the standard nymph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, that's sort of the go-to. Something with green on it, I always think. They, there's some... Uh, there's some green copper johns. I've got a, these I bought days. some, and that's why yeah. I caught some out here the other day. For, yeah. I'm yeah. going to go out here and catch these. Yeah, it's fun. I caught them on a, I think it was a size 12. Mm-hmm. And now I've got some 14s. Yeah, and that's a good size. You know, if they're biting on those, that's a much easier mm-hmm. fly to, to use. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not getting the microscope out to unhook the fish. <laughs> if, you do, <laughs> if you do catch a big one, you got a half chance of getting him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the zebra midges, which are very effective. That's good Dix River fly, mm-hmm. too. I mean, you're looking at 20s, 22s, I've 24s. I've got some 20s, and I'm, <laughs> I can barely get them in my fly box, much less tied on. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, there's so small that, that I know I've had big trout on where you're just like, oh, no. And, you know, you're like, oh, God, that's on a little zebra midge. Mm-hmm. And it's fun for about a minute, and then you probably Snap. just had them a little – you know, yeah. you got not even don't even hardly have them hooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and you know, Cumberland's a great place to catch a big trout. So, a lot of people don't understand the concept of leader and then tippet. Mm-hmm. And and you know, a longer leader you can use it without a tippet, but you know, it's nice to add on. You can drop down off a, off a bigger leader and drop mm-hmm. down. What tippet do you use when you're throwing the little bitty zebra midges? You've just got to go. I mean, about a two pound. Uh, wow. And I am a I am a big fan of so that's a seven X or so. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get like you know, there's some days if if you got fog on and the sun's not up, you can run a little bit bigger line. Do you use fluoro? 
I, by the time the sun comes up and that water is gin clear, you've, you've almost got to, or you're really hurting yourself. Huh. Do you use the uh, spools that you can buy or just normal? I've been using just normal cigar red label for, for my tippet. I got a little, I got a little bit of both depending on, so I run, uh, I've really gotten into throwing big flies and I finally just bought a spool of, of, uh, like six and eight pounds. Mm-hmm. That's what you're I, going through that a little bit more. And you don't want to get much more over two feet on your tippet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go a little longer, but then you can kind of get your leader out of whack and it won't roll over as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've become a big fan of, of any kind of braided leader with the loop to loop connections. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. Orvis made one back in the day and I've actually still got one that I know I had when I was in college mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Um, and I've put the slide-on loops on any any fly line that I buy. I put yeah. a slide-on loop and glue her on there. I'm yeah. not fool with it. And it just makes nail knots crazy. Okay. That just makes life <laughs> so much easier. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think for people getting into fly fishing, that's the most you know frustrating part. Yeah, it's trying it's, to attach it yeah. now with the loop. You just run it through, and yeah. it doesn't even take thirty seconds. You have to and, look into that. And um, most fly lines now come with with a loop on the, at least the, the leader end of it. Mm. And you may have to, I put one on the back to go into my backing too. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Cause it's just so much easier. Mm. And, and and if you're going to change lines, what you're going to do uh, as you get more into it, it just makes that whole process just yeah. fly, you know? Yep. And a surgeon's knot is the knot I use to tie, tip it to leader. And that's basically an overhand knot. And you run it through the tag ends through three times. I like three yep. when I'm using fluorocarbon because two, I've noticed slips on. If you go through three times, which is kind of a pain in the butt, but once you get it down, it's... That's not that bad. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Super you know, easy knot, and it holds. Yeah, don't learn that knot sitting mm-hmm. on a rock in the river. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, do I, I do it on my couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I finally learned to do one out in the field, but I tell you what, a surgeon's knot when the wind's blowing out in the yeah. field is no fun, but it's it's yeah. doable. And my thing is, I mean, not that, you know, mo- I, I've typically got three or four fly rods in the boat, mm-hmm. you know, and if you just ball one up, not one up, like instead of getting mad at it, I just pick up the next one. Yeah, you know, it might have a slightly different rig, and it it Cumberland. Just given the fact that it, you know, you're in shallows, then you're in a deep pool, then you're in shallows. I just like to get in the boat and drift all day. Mm-hmm. Maybe get out in a couple spots I like. But as I'm working down the river, I'll be nymphing when we're going through 18 inches, two foot of water. Uh, when we hit a fast run, maybe I'll throw a woolly booger, and we get in a deep hole. Maybe I'm throwing my eight weight with a big articulated mouse fly or something for mm-hmm. a 25 inch brown. brown. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it seems excessive, but all I do, you know, put one rod in the box, get the other one out, and I can just roll right over. And that's not, obviously not a necessity, mm-hmm. but I'm not changing, you know, and it, you just roll right down the river and do some fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, can't catch fish if the line's on the water. Right. You know? Right. And uh, Christmas is a really good, a lot of people don't think uh, this time of year, you know, trout fishing, but on the tailwater, the, the water temperature doesn't change, so the, and the mm. fish could care less what the air temperature is, basically. Yeah. So if you have time over Christmas and the and the flow is good, you can bust them, and you won't see a soul. Yeah, yep. exactly. I love, I love being down there in no, mm. November and December. I might give it a try myself, and I know Hatchery is supposedly pulling mm-hmm. some bigger fish out of the river right now, Ron too. Brooks caught me, and his sons went to the Hatchery Creek here a little bit ago, and he was telling me uh, a couple of days ago that they did really well. Good deal. I might try to get down there over, I guess, the break. Mm-hmm. It's not really. I, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. Well, give me a call. Okay. We'll, we'll go. I had uh, 
two people asked questions on uh, social media here about uh, for you. Uh, he said, uh, down here in southeast Kentucky, we've seen many more trail cam pics of black bears recently. Any influx to the area? That probably goes hand in hand with what we talked about earlier. Probably yeah, absolutely. Population's I mean, just growing. That whole, you know, that whole corner of the state now, you can find a bear yep. anywhere. Uh, somebody else asked, uh, know anything about the so-called bear attack in Estill County? Uh, I think they're probably referencing, we actually had a deer hunter that shot a bear mm-hmm. that ended up surprising a bear in close proximity, had a young kid with him and, and ended up shooting that bear in, in self-defense. Okay. Uh, so not so much an attack, you yeah. know, the way... Well, we looked at it as there, you know, there were three people surprised right there. Okay. You know, two people and a bear got real surprised. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's some. You know, we have that issue. We have that issue with turkey hunting uh, as well. Bears can't see, yeah. and if you got the full turkey hunting or deer hunting garb on, your face is covered. They're going to keep doing their own thing yeah. until they till they wind you. So our suggestion is, it may mess you hunting up for a little bit. But when they're out there at 100 yards, let them know exactly what you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that'll take care of a lot of those yeah. problems. Well, I mean, bears aren't really aggressive animals, are right. they? I've, I've only heard of one actual attack, and mm-hmm. that was in the Red River Gorge area. Yeah. And the way I understand it, that bear was pretty provoked. Well, yeah. there was wild blueberries there, too, wasn't it? And yeah. It was, and he had food in his pack, correct? Yeah, it was one of those situations where it was just this weird, like, knife-edge ridge mm-hmm. uh, that dropped down, and then there was a cliff, and there was low-bush blueberry everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. the bear was eating... You know, that guy walked through the bear buffet. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it was the perfect storm of situations yeah. that led to that. But, I mean, that was non-fatal. That guy was fine, yeah. right? Didn't he yeah. break his leg? Is that what happened? Uh, he had a, a good portion of his calf muscle. It was a very serious injury. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's yeah, very, 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 very rare. Like, I think that I never actually think about the concern of a bear attacking me while I'm right. in the woods. Even in that part of the state, I'm more concerned about falling off a cliff or doing something stupid to get myself hurt. Yeah, you look at the number of people who have uh, been uh, injured in the gorge over the years, and that probably makes up a a tenth of a percent (laughs) of all the injuries. So, If if you are in a bear area, you want to avoid carrying like Doritos and and stuff like that because Doritos just that salty, oily smell that drives Mm -hmm. us crazy drives them crazy too, doesn't it? Yeah, be smart about it, and it's not a bad thing uh, to carry some bear spray. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of do what they do out west. That's the that's kind of your ultimate solution if if you do have one that is approaching. I, I say when I go, uh, I heard a funny story the other day about this guy using bear spray on a grizzly while he was trout fishing out in like Montana or something like that. He said he pulled it out and this bear was you know getting closer and closer and he sprayed it. He said he didn't realize that he was directly downwind of the bear. So yeah. he said he hit the bear, but he hit himself too, I've and they were, they were both just sitting there. Crying in the river. <laughs> That'd be funny. But like when I go camping or something like that, I mean I I never have considered it like to be super necessary, but I always put my food in a bag and a, mm-hmm. and a you know, a seat a seat of summit bag and hoist it up in a tree. I think it's just good practice. But yep. so just being responsible and being safe about things like that. Definitely if you're in the area, probably don't want to leave a sausage biscuit in your cup holder in your mm-hmm. car when you go for a hike or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, like I said, you, anytime you're down there, uh, and if you're in the Daniel Boone or in the southeastern Kentucky, you see the bear-proof trash cans at all the parks. You see people have uh, fenced-in enclosures to put their trash in out in front of their houses and things like that. So it's just really keeping food and trash away from where they can get to it. Yep. And like you said earlier, you're probably not just saving property damage. You're probably saving a bear in some way, too. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. My wife worked at Yellowstone two years, mm. and <clears throat> a good friend of ours was out uh, horseback riding and that's what they did they took people out and there was a guy intensely fly fishing and didn't realize there was a grizzly stalking him so he just runs in on his horse and yeah 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 
I'm smacking his reins and everything, and that bear, and that guy turns around, his eyes got as big as saucers, he just started shaking violently <laughs> when he realized he was about to get attacked. Yeah. And then the bear, and he went on, and yeah. Sean scared him off, but he said that was, that guy was like, then he just hugged him profusely and was like, thank you so much, I'm never fishing here again. I was scared of the I've seen some crazy, out of I've seen some crazy videos out west, but those are coastal brown bears and yeah. grizzlies and much, much different than black bears like we have here. But the, uh, I mean, you've seen Grizzly Man, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that guy kind of asked for it. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't say that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but there is an editing function later. <laughs> well, I will say this, that if you watch that documentary and you listen to what the people that work for the DNRs in that area had to say, they pretty much said, they told them from the get-go that was a bad idea and to quit doing it and you know, at some point. Yeah. Something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Poke the bear enough times. Yes. Anything you guys want to add? I think we're, we're good on time, and it's about time for me to eat some food. So. Yeah, me too. I'm, I, my wife's my lunch today. This so. Doritos talk has me. There you go. But they, bears love Doritos, don't they? That oh, yeah. The they like anything. Apparently, honey buns, Doritos, peanut butter. Yeah. All the things I like, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love yeah, peanut butter. <laughs> I wonder if they hate onions. I don't know. something else we have. You bring Funyuns instead of Doritos. <laughs> we, won't, we won't even go down the list of stuff that I've seen them eat out of people's garbage, but I'm sure you can imagine. Oh. Well, I, I, we had a picture we used a long time at the at the fair for a display, and it was one of flipping a pizza box open. Yeah. Well, heck yeah. Kingdom Come State Park. I don't blame it for that at all. Now he's eating some old leftover pizza. Mm. All right. Well, guys, let's wrap it up. I appreciate you coming on, John. This was a good oh, no one. problem. Yeah, I appreciate I, it. I had fun. A lot of info. And if I go bear hunting this year, I'll keep some of this stuff in mind. Yeah. Thank you.